0: House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres.
1: So now we have Marie on the line. So how are you doing today, Marie?
2: I'm doing great.
1: Nice to be here. So uh, before we get into the book, uh, let's tell the listeners a little bit about you. So where did you come from and um, what kind of uh, history have you had with paranormal and And writing
2: Wow well I originally came from New York I live in California now logistically Um, excuse me I just have had an avid interest in the paranormal since childhood I I think because I love to read and I love to read ghost stories and spooky stories as a young kid I was really into UFOs and aliens and it just, it stayed with me throughout my teenage years. I became very interested in the investigation aspect, trying to learn uh, about the sort of mechanics behind paranormal phenomenon. And my father, who was a scientist, he was really interested in it too. So I thought that was kind of interesting that a scientist would take interest in things like ghosts and aliens. Um, and then later, I just, started to write about it and that kind of took off and I became very popular as a paranormal writer, um, kind of presenting different ideas and not necessarily focusing just in on one thing, but trying to cover the sort of umbrella term because to me the word paranormal can be anything. I mean, it can be ESP and psi abilities, UFOs, aliens, cryptids, uh the poltergeist, ghosts, hauntings—you name it—it it all kind of falls under the same banner.
1: I, I was going to say, where did you get your um, um, drive to actually get into writing this sort of thing? Was there a particular uh, instant that happened?
2: I had been writing since childhood. I knew that that's—I knew, you know, the, by the age of five, I was writing stories and trying to make little books, you know, that my mom would bind together with cardboard and, and string into little books. I was writing since day one. I knew I wanted to be a writer all throughout uh, school, college. Uh, it, there was no question. And I started out writing fiction and screenplays. And at some point, I just got sort of this bug in my ear that I wanted to try writing a nonfiction book. So I did. It wasn't very successful, but it got me my agent. It actually got really great reviews, got me my agent. And she and I, from that point, we were able to get me my first real big book on the paranormal, which is called Science, P-S-I-E-N-C-E. And from there, it just took off, and I, I never stopped now, I'm kind of branching out into some other topics because, you know, you sort of run out of material after a while. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Celebrity Ghosts and Darius Hauntings is like my first paranormal book in, in two or three books.
1: Oh, okay. Um, how, did, how did you feel about the paranormal before uh, writing this book and before writing your other book on paranormal? Like, Were you a believer, non-believer? Or did you think about it much?
2: Yeah, I mean it was always it was my obsession, and I, growing up the daughter of a scientist, I was a diehard skeptic. But I also had this other side to me because my mom was more creative and imaginative and spiritual. So I kind of sat on the middle of the fence, and that I was very skeptical of just about everything. But I also was open-minded enough, (coughs) excuse me, to you know, listen to what people said and to look at the research and look at the data and really not count anything out because people were having, millions of people, were having experiences that I couldn't explain. And now were they all lying or making it up? No, I certainly don't think so. I think that um, what my father had told me is there's definitely a science to the paranormal, but we don't know what it is yet. And we're having a hard time because it doesn't really fit the normal scientific method of inquiry. It's more subjective experiences and personal experiences, but that doesn't mean they're not real. So I've always been able to ride the middle of the fence and look at it from both sides.
1: And, and what was your connection to the UFO and uh, uh, alien abduction, and you've been on uh, ancient aliens on history and stuff, so what, what's your connection to that?
2: I, UFOs were sort of my first love since childhood. I have had such an affinity for the subject matter. Um, I don't know why. <laughs> I don't I don't know that I was abducted as a child or anything, but <coughs> that was like my first love. And I was a member of several organizations throughout my life, Muf- MUFON Mutual UFO Network, Center for UFO Studies, um, and as time went on, I sort of started writing more about the paranormal in terms of ghosts and hauntings and things like that, but I always wanted to stay close to my UFO roots, so I made sure that I always wrote about them and I kept up on what was happening in the world. And I, um, I'd i been on Ancient Aliens and Nostradamus Effect, two shows on the History Channel. So some of that I was speaking about UFO and alien-related material, I did a promotional um, marketing video for the movie, The Fourth Kind on alien abductions. And so it's always been there. Um, It's very hard to write about UFOs, write anything new because there's so many people writing books and everything has been covered. And it's not a subject matter where things happen every day that are new. Um, UFO sightings go, go in cycles and waves, and there will be long periods of time where there doesn't seem to be a whole lot going on. And then all of a sudden, like recently, it'll just sort of come back into the public eye again.
0: Okay, so, Marie, you said something really interesting to now that I picked up on, and I'm sure Al would have done too, and our listeners, which was when we were talking a little bit about your interest in in the ufos and and how you came to be interested you said you wasn't sure if you were abducted as a child and most people would would either know or they would rule that out rather than saying well who knows i I could it could have happened and it could have it could have um, helped my interest You know,
2: I had ever since I've been very young, and I'm talking, I remember dreams that I had when I was three, four, five years old. I have had dreams, recurring uh, dreams of UFOs, of being in the same situation over and over again, where I'm standing outside with family or friends. And even as a child, I had dreams that, that I was an adult in the dreams one of them I was with my son and you know at the time I was a kid I didn't know I was gonna grow up and have a son and I do have a son and it was always the same I would see lights in the sky and I would feel absolutely terrified that if we don't get inside of everybody we have gotta get inside or something really bad is gonna happen and we would all rush and scramble to get indoors a house or building whatever it was and then I would wake up now I have had those dreams all through my childhood they, rec- they recur every now and then even as an adult. But what always really bothered me is the fact that at a very early age, I knew what UFOs were. Now, my father was really into UFOs as well. We had a neighbor where I grew up that was. I could have heard about them, you know, from my dad and, and the neighbor, but I read everything I could get my hands on. I knew who Bigfoot was when I was a toddler, so something was going on there.
0: But it's probably <laughs> really really important to ask now, Marie, what what was your understanding at that age of what a UFO was? Because from my perspective, and a lot of our listeners will agree that a UFO is just something that is unidentified. It could be absolutely anything. We just we just haven't formally identified That's it. Right. Yeah. So so you're so your your hinting towards something else because you're saying that when you were were younger you were were a child and you were fearful of this this is something that you had to run inside away from which doesn't fit with any UFO um, abduction actually because UFOs abduct from many places and um, and, and so that's quite an interesting belief as a child
2: as a child I was convinced they were from Mars or you know outer space and I loved science fiction I loved Science fiction movies and alien invasion movies. Um, You know, now that I'm older, I know that there are several different types of UFOs. And as you said, 99.9% of them are anomalous, uh, you know, uh, things that are natural. They're not uh, alien at all, they're just simply unidentified objects that happen to be flying. But it's, yeah, it is really weird. I was um, on a radio show a couple of years ago. And I happened to mention that I lost two hours of time on a particular freeway in Los Angeles, California. And the two hosts got really quiet and, and they said, um, you know, were you aware that that stretch of freeway was is notorious for alien abductions?" And I thought they were joking with me. Mm. <laughs> and I said, "Oh please, please." And I looked into it, and yes, indeed it was. And you know they were kind of encouraging me to to go through a hypnotic regression to see if anything happened during those two hours. I honestly did not feel the urge to do so. I think I just zoned out. You know, I did I didn't feel like there was something um, prodding me on to do that. But it did kind of pique my interest in that. I've had things happen like that all through my life. Um, and I've never really felt like uh, I needed to, you know, sort of like go under and find out exactly what's going on. I don't know what it is. I, I've had like, I've seen things in the sky that were unusual. I've been obsessed with the subject matter um, for decades. Um, I don't know. But I'm also, you know, I'm, I'm, I have a big imagination so i 'm thinking that some of it could be just that attraction of we don 't know what 's out there. are we alone? How imaginative can we get with the different scenarios of what might be out there and what civilizations might have been visiting us or currently are
0: but as somebody who investigates who would, who you spoke early on about investigative um, the side of the paranormal. The as father as a scientist, you accept that these things may happen. You have been told that a two-hour time lapse may have been because you're on a Pacific piece of highway, which is highly suggestive, and yet you're not wanting to explore that further and, and try and provide the evidence necessary.
2: I'll tell you what I did. I wrote a screenplay called Missing Time, and I based it on that radio show and the conversations that we had. I thought, well, this is kind of a cathartic way for me to go through with it and, and get it out there. Um, and, and One thing I said that I thought was really interesting is, if you do something like that and you find out nothing happened, you'll be disappointed. If you do that and you find out something did happen, you'll be, you know, it could change your whole life. So I think for me, I just feel like I haven't had the compulsion because I don't have marks on me. I don't have, um, you know, bloody noses or headaches or migraines or weird visions to where I would say, you know what, maybe, maybe, yeah, I better look into this. And I can pass it off as just my interest in the subject matter. So I could say that these things are happening because I think about this a lot. I read about it a lot. I watch every alien movie I can get my hands on. It's just an obsession. But, I, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm embroiled in some kind of reality of uh, UFO abductions. I don't know, maybe, maybe
0: when I'm older, <laughs> but because, I, you know, I get to write what, about what, it. Because what you're, and don't get me wrong, writing about it is um, cathartic, it's, it's informative, it helps open up people's minds, but what you're doing is experiencing other people's experiences, your own potential experiences you're not exploring. Which, is, which for me is just, it, just fascinating because there could be more to your experiences that you uncover and I think you're you're right in what you're doing because Uh, I have to I had to
2: wait till my son was older you know I had a um, my son had growing up had uh, terrible disabilities that we were dealing with I didn't have time to look into anything like that now that he's older I do but one thing I will tell you is that I was a field investigator for mutual UFO Network for over 15 years and that allowed me to not only go out and explore um, you know, and interview people that had had sightings and witnesses and take reports. But I was uh, at the height of the abduction era, we were one of the first organizations to take in abductees and begin to work with them and team them up with uh, people who could do hypnotic regression and with psychologists and people that could work with them with further trauma. So I was actually immersed in that whole world when it was just peaking. And at that time, I never felt like, oh, I'm one of these people. I felt more like, oh, I'm one somebody who's supposed to be helping these people. So, but we'll see where it leads. I haven't had a UFO dream probably in about a year now. If they come back, we'll see.
0: So, um, just a little bit more about that, if you don't mind, Marie, and please don't, my, my my role really on, on the show is i'm, I'm actually i 'm a believer in the paranormal but i 'm also a very um, staunch believer in evidence so one of the things that um, as we all know is it doesn 't matter how many sightings we think there's been or what people have produced to evidence those sightings there is still nothing that we can say um, there is evidence of aliens being unidentified flying objects and so the working with people who have been abducted or who allege to have been abducted and offering support and therapeutic services to those people what does that look like when there's actually no evidence that we can absolutely grasp that says this person has been a victim of this what how are we treating those people well i'm not a psychologist
2: which is one of the reasons why we would direct people that you know to to somebody who could help them But it's based on allowing for the fact that somebody experienced something traumatic or fearful that they don't understand, whether or not it had anything to do with UFOs, that's a whole different ballgame. But to not ignore or discredit or make fun of them or say, no, nothing happened to you. I find it, let's take UFOs out of the picture, to me it's just as intriguing if there was some kind of collective unconscious uh... manifestation of ufo phenomena going on in the minds of people all over the world even if there wasn't any kind of physical evidence it's like why is everybody why is there so much of this imagery and why are people reporting such similar things all over the world and You know, to me, that's just as fascinating. Could this be a collective creation of our imaginations? Are we creating this phenomena or does it actually exist outside of us?
0: It's a fascinating topic. And the amount of people that I've interviewed that um, have been either alien abductees or or have an interest in, um, in following alien sightings, UFO sightings, um, is it, immense, but one of the things that comes through really, really clearly is that people do this because they're interested. There is no real background. There's no people don't go out and get a master's or a degree in 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 right. And so, so one of the questions I have to ask, and I and I ask it of many people, is what gives anybody the right to say that they can investigate UFOs? Because sightings are so varied. They're, they're much of what we, we, know, we um, see is hidden from us. You know, we don't always have all of the knowledge, which is absolutely right, because we have security systems. And I just think, well, what right have we got to say that we can investigate these things or that we are any good at this stuff?
2: Well, we, we don't investigate the actual UFO. The problem with UFO field investigation is that it occurs after the fact. But with an organization like MUFON, what they've done is they've created a manual of things that we can, data that we can collect and put into this sort of um, uh, library that that other people who are interested can go to to see. Okay, you know, between 1980 and 1982, there were 600 sightings of a cigar-shaped craft with three red lights over Ohio. And by doing that, we, we may not solve the whole mystery or come to realize what UFOs are, what we're dealing with, because I think it, we're dealing with a number of different things, obviously. Um, but it helps create a database of information that people can compare and contrast and add to and take from. And I think we have every right to investigate anything. You know, we have every right to investigate things that happen to us, things that we hear about, things that excite us and interest us and that we have a passion for. Because if we don't, we're never going to get close to having any answers. And I don't know, maybe it's not about getting the answers. I think that might be such an incredible letdown. (laughs) But I think, you know, it's just human nature to want to have a sort of an adventure, a quest that you're going on and you're looking for clues and I think that's part of who we are as human beings.
0: Tell me a little bit about your views um, in the other aspects of the paranormal. So mediumship, spirituality, ghost apparitions. Tell me a little bit about your views.
2: I think it's about the same in that I'm always being exposed to people that claim they can do this or that or that they've seen the ghost of their dead grandmother or you know had poltergeist experiences, whatever and I never believe I never believe it right off the bat I have to take a step back in fact I might react skeptically at first but I stay open to the fact that they very well might have had that exact experience because who am I to tell them that they didn't you know and you take into consideration someone's mental state Um, If they're, you know, over imaginative, or if they seem like they just want attention, we actually had people like that that we dealt with in the UFO abduction field, where they people claimed that they were abducted, we could very easily pick them out from the ones that were actually terrified, and didn't want to really come forward. And people want attention, they want to get on TV, you know, they want to they want to have their 15 minutes of fame. So um, I, anytime anybody tells me something, I half believe it and I half don't believe it. And I like staying in the middle because I think it's a really nice place to be where I can have some objectivity, but also understand subjective experiences is, is just as important, even if I didn't experience it.
0: I think I would be remiss if I didn't take you up on one of the points you've just made, in that you were able to say who who was clearly distraught, distra- distra- distressed, and were a- were you were able to say, well, this person has had a traumatic experience, and then those that wanted their fifteen minutes of fame. How 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 did you know that?
2: Uh, and it honestly proved to be true because the two gals that I'm referring to, and I will not mention names went on to be um, the pariahs of the UFO community or, because they were full of you know what. Um, I'm really good at reading people, always have been. The, the gal that I formed the MUFON group with and the people that we considered our board of directors, we were having people come to us, two different kinds of people, and they were either terrified or confused, or just looked shell shocked, or they were, oh, you know, do you think I'll get on the news? Do you think the news will interview me? I mean, come on, you can tell I'm not stupid. Um, you could tell when someone is out to get attention, and and then upon further interviewing and discussing, they would repeat every everything they had heard from the cases that were being uh, broadcast on television, which were very few at the time. Bud Hopkins was uh, on the news every now and then, and he would talk a little bit about some of the symptoms and things, and these people would parrot that. The people that we really, truly believed had something happen, whether it was UFO related or not, they were all over the place. They were describing things you know, that mixed, that matched they showed marks, they had all kinds of um, th- marks on their body and bloody noses, and one of them had an actual little metal implant that he had taken out of his, behind his ear. And So, yeah, I think you can tell the difference.
0: And, and when these people were coming forward and they were they were giving you their account, so I've taken this device out from my ear, did you see the device? What evidence did you have that they had? I did see these? one. Now,
2: you have to realize, we were new to this whole abduction thing, and we did not take it upon ourselves to deal with these people because we were afraid we were going to do something wrong. So they would come to us, and we would direct them to the people that we had been told, okay, you know, she's working with abductees, and this person is very knowledgeable. Um, There is no way I would have ever tried to... Play psychologist or remove something, but there was one gentleman that I got to know very well because um, I actually knew his wife from a different situation, and she kind of took her time to let me know, "Hey, you know, my husband has some things he'd like to tell you." I saw the scar. I saw the thing in a in a like a little um, protective. Uh, a little plastic cup kind of thing. I didn't look, I didn't take it out and look at it, but, you know, maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. I don't know what happened to these people, but I was not the person that was going to tell them, yes, you've been abducted or no, you haven't. That's why we sort of served to, we were like the, the channel. If they come to us and we pass them on, you know, here's somebody that we really think can help you.
0: And some, somebody being really successful will say well no one can tell them that actually you, they, then they can go to psychology services and they can they can they can talk and they can tell you and recount their experiences but nobody has ever produced anything no. that says no, this yet. has happened um, but know that. You we live in a world where
2: uh, we live in a world where evidence is everywhere I mean there are pictures videos there are little implant devices out there and the first thing that we do is say no they're fake because you know we don't want I think there's an an inherent part of us as human beings that we don't want to accept that possibility and I've always said a UFO could land on the White House lawn with every media outlet in the world there taping it and half the population of the earth will say that it was Mm faked. so if there could very well be a lot of real data and evidence out there, we, we don't know where it is or how to sort through it, because we now have to sort through all of the, the pictures and videos on YouTube that come from people with their cell phones, that, you know, there's, they don't know they're looking at Venus, they think they're looking at a UFO, I think it's gotten harder now because everybody has a camera.
0: But, but I, I think how, help we, help how do we coordinate this then, Marie? How do we make sure that the information that we're getting as individuals, as groups, is actually serving a purpose? Because at the moment you have hundreds and hundreds of different people claiming to be looking into or collating information or databases about UFOs and people's experiences. At what point are we all going to come together and have this one database, this one point where we can say, Right, this is the information? <laughs>
2: You know, there's a couple of really good databases out there, and I know they've been struggling, especially with funds. <clears throat> excuse me, to try to uh, coordinate into one major database, and I honestly don't know if that can happen because you have, you're dealing with egos, you're dealing with people who have different attitudes about how that information should be used and who should have it. I've heard of groups holding on to really good information that they, because they didn't want to share it with somebody else, they wanted to get credit for it. I, you know, I ask the same question, but I do think that, um, you know, with the advent of the internet, we now have the ability to get that information to a clearinghouse, and there are a couple, and MUFON is one of the biggest, so that scientists and and investigative researchers can go and correlate the data and and look at it, you know, from an objective point of view. What is this telling us? What might this be suggesting? Or what theories can we come up with, if any? So I think that's the goal. I also think it's very difficult because these are things that happen to people that are not necessarily... um, physical. Uh, You know, you see something or you think that you experience something like an abduction, but there's nothing physical left behind for you to say, hey, everybody, look what happened to me. Look, they left me this picture. (laughs) We took a selfie, me and the alien. So it's very difficult. It's not like going down into the ocean and digging into the ocean ground and pulling up a core and opening it up and saying, oh, look at the different sediment and sand and it's not that way at all so the scientific method doesn't fit so I think it's about coming up with a different method of going about doing the research
0: tell me a little bit about your your new book Marie how did you get to write about celebrity ghosts
2: my, I've been working for a publisher for a while now, doing a lot of books for them. And they asked me if I would be interested in doing this book. This was actually a concept that was presented to me. And I said, oh, that sounds really fun. Like, it would be a lot of fun to research and write about. And it was an absolute blast. You know, again, these are ghost stories and haunted locations all over the world, mostly in the United States, but some all over the world. And are they all real? Who knows? I've got urban legends and poltergeist cases, everything you could think of. Um, but it was really, really fun to research. And a lot of places that you hear about, you know, the famous Shining Hotel, or the here in where I live in San Diego, we have the Whaley House, and, and then there's the Queen Mary, you know, haunted locations that most people have heard about, but also just dozens and dozens of local places that people have told me about, and I couldn't even get half of them into this book. Um, I had to leave out so much. But you know, it's kind of interesting to think that maybe we live in a very haunted world, and there are a lot of really interesting places out there that people are having experiences, who knows what, but they're definitely having experiences.
0: Uh, is there anything in the book that you can reveal to us about who, who may be the most, um, I, suppose, uh, I suppose, most well-known celebrity that you've researched?
2: Absolutely. The two biggest are Elvis Presley and Marilyn Monroe. I mean, there's a lot, you know, there's a lot of historical, goes <clears throat> like presidents and prime ministers and all that, but, you know, we love our celebrities. <clears throat> so um, Elvis and Marilyn are two celebrities that have their ghosts have been seen in multiple places. They don't just haunt as many ghosts are claimed to do their graveyard or cemetery where they're buried. Um, Elvis haunts, supposedly, uh, the Burger King restaurant that he used to eat at all the time. In Nashville, he haunts the studio that he recorded in. Um, Graceland, his former home, and then with Marilyn, same thing. She's she's at her grave site. She's at the hotel, the Hollywood Roosevelt Hotel. She's at this home that she owned and this home. So it's really interesting that people are seeing these spirits in many different places. And uh, those two, I think, are the biggest travelers in terms of being seen uh, in a number of places. But, you know, James Dean, uh, I actually mentioned Michael Jackson earlier. I didn't get any reports of him, uh, his ghost, but apparently he owned a haunted cabinet. And he believed, he had seances, and he believed that he could communicate with the ghost of um, Liberace, who he was a huge fan of. So there's all kinds of strange stories, not just ghosts of celebrities, but celebrities that have seen ghosts. Because a lot of the celebrities buy the homes of former celebrities, and a lot of these old old homes have gone through several owners. So you have a lot of celebrities that move into someone's house, say the house of Lucille Ball or um, Rudy Valentino and then they say that they they're seeing these ghosts too so it's kind of like a chain that keeps going
0: and did you speak to anybody who um, following from the stories has claimed to communicate with those ghosts I have
2: a lot of uh, because I've been doing this for a long time I have a lot of um, friends and colleagues who are mediums who communicate with the dead and many of them claim that they have gotten in touch with, when a celebrity dies, and this has happened like over the last 10 years, whenever you know it's on Facebook or Twitter or, oh, so-and-so died, I will see a lot of these people that I know posting about how they did a, a seance or they're going to do one and try to communicate with so-and-so. And I think it's just sort of a natural curiosity that, Oh, uh, you know, I want to see if I can communicate with this person before they pass through or pass on completely. So, yeah, I hear about it all the time. I'm not always sure that that's really happening or if they're imagining it, but definitely seems to be um, a hot topic on social networking. As soon as somebody known dies, you've got all these People that are deciding to try to get a hold of them, try to communicate with them. What happened? Where are you? You know, have you passed through the light yet and gone to the other side?
0: A, a personal view would be it's all a bit mad, but um, because why would, um, let's just say for example, Elvis Presley have any inclination at all to speak to Joe Bloggs down the street? Um, you know, we we know the energy that it takes for somebody to communicate. We know that communication is purposeful. Um, that, that would go against everything that, um, that, that people know about communication or if we take away the word communication it take away everything we know about somebody being able to come up with information that we wouldn't necessarily be readily um, knowing of um, whether you think that's um, mediumship or, or otherwise, those people who can communicate can get that information it, that goes against the grain somewhat
2: uh, there's so many, this shouldn't be, or, you know, that doesn't make sense. And yet you've still got millions of people, maybe even billions, who claim that they had communication with a spirit or a ghost or a dead loved one. And I am certainly not going to say that they're all lying or, you know, mistaken. Oh, no! They, be, don't get me wrong,
0: I'm, I'm a believer. Yeah, there so, seems that, to be some things.
2: It's but not, I also I would
0: definitely not be saying somebody doesn't is lying. What I, I, I guess I'm getting at is that um, for those people who are true communicators, however they get their information, whatever means that that uh, format comes in, I don't think I've ever heard, through many many years of doing this, anybody's account that says that they can just communicate with whoever they want to. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work. So when somebody passes over, and they say, "Actually, I really want to get hold of Elvis Presley," and oh yes, I did, and it was really good. (laughs) Yeah, I don't
2: think it's that easy. It's incredibly
0: unrealistic. Well, not only
2: that, but a lot of it doesn't make common sense. Like I've always asked, why? Why on earth do so many people claim that they see ghosts in cemeteries? Why? And you know, if okay, if we go along with that line of thinking that a ghost is the essence or spirit of a dead person, why would they be at the place their body is buried Absolutely. rather than a place that they actually died and experienced that initial trauma or a really fun place? Like, you know, if I die and I can become a ghost, I'm going to want to be haunting the places that made me happy. I'd want to check on my family. And so there's so many things that don't make sense. And I, I feel like we're so lost, we're kind of in the dark about what really is going on here, but I always feel like it's equally interesting and intriguing to me that something is happening, that millions of people are, now are they <clears throat> Are they doing it, are they having these experiences because they heard that their neighbor did, and it's just sort of like a contagion, a thought contagion, um, or are they really all experiencing things that we just can't, are, or maybe are not meant to explain? I always wonder about that, too. Are we meant to explain? Is this stuff just, like, we still don't really understand the power of the human mind, the, the connection between brain and mind, brain and consciousness. So if we don't still completely understand the normal, how on earth are we ever really going to understand the paranormal? Absolutely. That's kind of where my head is at. <laughs> now, now I see in the book you've
1: also got section on unexplained um, movie lore and uh, some of the unsettling things that happen on some of the sets. What, what was your favorite one to cover?
2: Oh, gosh. I think, you know, everybody's heard about the Amityville horror and uh, uh, the scary stuff like The Omen and Poltergeist One thing that interested me is, like, and and a friend of mine was talking to me about this the other day, is The Ghost Whisperer with Jennifer Love Hewitt. It was a really popular TV series. And they had a lot of experiences on set with shadow figures and some interesting things happening. But the difference is, like, that wasn't a horror show. That was a show that was very positive and... You know, they they almost treated the ghosts with, with respect on that show. So a lot of people say, well, yeah, if you're making a horror movie, and you're getting into that dark energy. Sure, you might experience some things on the set. The set might actually be cursed. But how do you explain sort of an uplifting show? It was almost as if they were being... Prodded or poked by the spirit world to say, Hey, you know, we like the show. You're doing a good job. Keep it up. So that one was interesting. Uh, but most of the times it's horror movies and people die from unusual causes or um, everybody involved is experiencing things. I think the, the Omen is a really creepy one. The directors will get into accidents, the actors and actresses. Um, with Poltergeist, one of the child actors, Heather O'Rourke, died. So there's kind of creepy stuff with all that.
1: What was your curse surrounding The Matrix? I haven't heard that one.
2: Oh, my gosh. Let me say, I actually have to look that up. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so apparently, oh, I know. I have to find my own things that I've written about. Um, so apparently, yeah, that was more of a curse. Keanu Reeves, during the making of The Matrix, lost his girlfriend, Jennifer Syme. She gave birth to a stillborn child and then died in a car accident. Alea, the pop star who played Z in the film, 21, uh, years, 22 years at the time, died in a plane crash. Gloria Foster, who played the Oracle, died during filming. Keanu himself had a motorcycle accident that landed him in the hospital. Later, injured his foot and had to be hospitalized again. And uh, the production lost money. And he ended up having to come up with 24 million to get the movie done in the first place. So yeah, that sounds a little cursed to me. But you know what's funny is it's not. That's not like a ghost horror movie. It's more of a political consciousness kind of thing. And yet. It's almost like somebody didn't want them to make that movie. Who knows?
1: (laughs) Was there any surprises that you came across that totally shocked you of a haunting or a a celebrity that hung out
2: at a studio or something that you just didn't expect? For the whole book, I will tell you the the most interesting stuff (laughs) came from haunted locations like roadways, and bridges, and tunnels, and all of the different creations of urban legends that surrounded places like that, that are like local legends. And after I did the book, I talked to a lot of people in different parts of the country, and I would say, so what's your local urban legend? And, oh, my gosh, they could each name three or four. And I thought, oh, I need to do volume two. Every part of the country, every part of the world has their own urban legends that have at their core either a true event or a person who was real and how some of them turn into these really creepy ghost stories that are repeated um Over and over again, they get embellished upon. That's how we have legends and folklore, uh, you know, how stories are. They start out one way, they end up another. So that was really kind of interesting is to see in action how urban legends led to some of the ghost stories that everybody is talking about on the Internet. And some of them uh, originated on the Internet. You've heard of Slenderman and the Rake These are fake creatures that were created on a website called Creepypasta. They were stories, and yet after they went viral, people, hundreds of people, were sending in actual sightings of these creatures. Now, what is up with that? Is it the power of suggestion at work? Um, You know, is this, again, the collective unconsciousness creating something that actually manifests in physical form? That was really creepy to hear, too. Mm. But just, and I love the part on haunted castles. I love the history of castles overseas, and each one just has its own incredible story. I mean, you could spend a, a month reading about haunted castles and not cover them all.
1: Right. Now, uh, have you got a website that people can go to if they want to come find all the work that you've done?
2: I do, and it's easy. It's mariedjones.com, and I'm on social networking everywhere, Facebook, Twitter, um, Instagram, Marie D. Jones.
1: Fantastic. Uh, now we're going to have your book up on our website as well, so people can do one click while listening and uh, pick up the book or pre-order it depending on when they're listening it's just coming out september 1st it's called celebrity ghosts and notorious hauntings and our guest has been author marie d jones thank you for being here marie
2: oh thank you so much it was my pleasure
0: you've been listening to the house of mystery radio show to find out more about our guests or shows go to www.houseofmystery.com.
2: Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah.
0: Good night. This is a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.